All right, so so here's here's the stupid thing that we do. It's just, um, it's just it's, an it's audio like it's a visual. Sync. It's one two three clap. Yeah, it's clapboard. It's, it's, except it's three, we all two, do it. Three two one clap. Whatever. Three two one clap. Well, it's important because if you do <laughs> one two three clap, and then instead of one three two one clap, then so where are you going to clap? There's a movement. You know? there, do we do we clap on one or do we clap on? <laughs> oh, okay. It just just three two oh, one. Oh yeah, we got the tone. Three we got, two we got the tone. one. That's it. That's all what right. we're doing. All right. All right. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Chuck Campbell runs his own business selling what he knows best himself. If you're in the voice acting business, you need to understand what Chuck already knows. It's a business first and foremost. Chuck cut his teeth in business working as an announcer and a talk show host at General Electric Cablevision. There's a name for you, right? Back in Anderson, Indiana, a long time ago. From there, Chuck put reps in at stations throughout the Midwest, doing everything from afternoons and play-by-play, all while holding down a day job. Keep that one in mind for you, huh? He became a sports director, co-hosted sports talk shows, was on air doing evenings, worked in radio sales and even became the top salesperson in the country for his radio group, all before deciding to make the leap into becoming a full-time voice actor back in 1998. For more than two decades, Chuck has been in front of the camera and behind the mic, including thousands of TV and radio commercials, training in corporate videos for Fortune 500 companies, 55 audiobooks, and even appeared in the film Ides of March with George Clooney and Ryan Gosling. Uh, along with a host of other amazing actors. Check that movie out. Looks interesting. Not bad for a guy who took a chance and walked away from a steady paycheck 20-something years ago. So how do you keep a voice acting business thriving while keeping a four handicap? I want to know. Let's talk voiceover, Chuck Campbell. Randy Ryan, BT, how are you? Good, man. How you doing? I'm well. And uh, I've got to tell you, in the time that it took you to read that, as I listened Man, this is the first time I've ever been interviewed. And I have interviewed no. hundreds what? and hundreds of guys. Get out. And gals. I'm looking forward to, a, to catching up with friends. Absolutely. Long overdue and, and, and a warm, warm welcome. This is so much fun. This is old home week. It is. I think the first time you and I worked together, Chuck, was back in 1990, maybe? Something like that. I was a recording engineer at Caboose Productions yep. in Indianapolis, and you were... The glorious nodes, the golden tones of some radio commercial somewhere, I'm sure. My question for you is actually more important. Sure. How do you maintain a four handicap, period? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, uh, lessons and a lot of free time, which I found I had on my hands when I went full time as a voiceover artist. So <laughs> there you go. The, seriously, though, the, the thing that's amazing and the thing that I really have always admired about your career is the fact that a lot of people get into this because, oh, it'd be fun to be able to be a voice actor. Yeah. Right. Or people tell me I have a good voice and I should be a voice actor. But the reality is it is a business first. And as long as I've known you, you've always made it a business first. Well, it's funny that you used the, you've got a good voice. That's exactly how I got started. I was after my senior year of high school, we were sitting around a public pool. And one of my friends, knowing I was going down to go to college and didn't have an idea, she goes, you really got a great voice. Maybe you should go into radio. I then went and majored in radio and it got me started. 
And so those words seem to have popped up over and over in my career. You've got a good voice. We should hire you. In fact, one of the big things that happened to me when I was still selling radio, I had a client in Indianapolis, but the advertising agency was in New Mexico. And I was talking to the media buyer and she said, you've got a really good voice. You should do commercials for us. I should. <laughs> the problem is they only used Albuquerque talent. Yeah. You had to be local because we were doing automobile commercials or they were, and there was an immediacy to it. Some dealer would call one of their clients and they'd say, we need to get a spot on the air right away. And the talent had to drive across town and step in their booth and record. Ah, uh, you're talking about the old days. Yeah. The good, the good old days. The I good remember old days when of... we used to drive into a studio to record. Yes. Oh, that never happened. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, right? That leads to really how I made the decision to go full time. Actually, a little before that, I back in about 95, I had done an audition for a on-camera commercial and became the spokesperson for a furniture store called Roberts, based out of Dayton, Ohio. They were also in Cincinnati, Tampa, Atlanta, and I don't know, but I did all their on-camera work for them. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to do VO, fine, but they wanted me to come to their studio in Dayton. Well, I was still selling advertising. Now, I was doing voiceover and on camera, obviously, while I was working sales, but I couldn't just on a whim take off and, and drive to Dayton. Yeah. So I told them, this is 1995, I'll do it. I'll build my own studio. It, that had just kind of become the thing. A thing. Yeah. The yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I sold a 1965 Mustang convertible. Oh my god, that's commitment. To finance <laughs> to finance that that studio and wow. Just to show how things have evolved. In that studio, I had a reel to reel deck put in. Of course. Mm -hmm. Because I was doing the booth for an Indianapolis television station where I had to go to their TV studio and sit in a little crappy booth. Right. And do the book. My studio was so much better than theirs. <laughs> um, and so I said, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll go ahead and record the book here and then I'll drive up there and drop it off. And, and so what we did with Roberts out of Dayton, Ohio, they would, ready, fax me the copy, <laughs> of course. fax me the copy on a Monday. Yep. I would record the copy. I had phone patch so they could listen to me. Email and that type of stuff was still kind of new. Computers were kind of new. Yep. People weren't really doing a lot in the mid-90s like we do now. And they would say, that's perfect. I would then take a digital audio tape. There's a technology that lasted about a week. Yep. Very expensive price tag for that week, by the way. That's right. And I would drop that in a FedEx. It would show up in Dayton, Ohio the next day on Tuesday. They would produce on Wednesday. The voiceover for the spots would air on Thursday. On the chance that they had a price point that needed immediately to be done, I would record in Indianapolis. We would say, great, see ya. My wife and I would get in the car and we drive to <laughs> Richmond on the state <laughs> line. They would drive from Dayton, equidistant. We'd meet yep. at a Bob Evans, have a cup of coffee, hi-ho, Pony Express, hand it off, and they would turn and go back uh, to the east and I'd turn around and go back west. See, for all those people that complain about technology, maybe the good old days weren't quite as rosy as we remember them. No, they weren't really. 
Although I will say I had done that exact same thing, maybe not in Bob Evans, but in Richmond, Indiana. Yep. For the exact same kind of reasons and or meeting in Louisville and you would meet like in Greensburg or something like that for the exact same reason. Yep. Because you were meeting halfway. And I will also say that I have some great memories of that kind of stuff. The thing that had to be done and had to be turned around right away and you ended up going and hanging with the client or whomever. It was a different kind of networking. I, I It was. That to me is a great memory. That's not a bad memory. No, no, no. No, no, it's not a bad memory. It's just different. Uh, you know, and that's the thing that's really missing these days um, when everyone has a home studio and everyone's recording from their home studios and you work with producers that you've never met and you can work with them for years without ever meeting them. It's different. The relationship building is a completely different thing. Yes. I used to be at Indianapolis Recording Studios three to five times a week, recording different commercials or sure. training or whatever. Yep. And as I would be sitting in the waiting room, the green room, the lobby, whatever it would be, waiting for oh, my session to start. Those were the best times. Those were the great. You, you met new people. Oh. There's some producer or writer sitting there and you strike up a conversation. Yep. And the next thing you, you know is they're learning about you. And here's my cassette. Or as it evolved, here's my CD, mm -hmm. and then my business card, here's my website, right. and it has all my demos on there. But yep. at least you had what I lovingly call the water cooler. Yes. You could sit around and talk shop. Yes. And the next thing you know, you were getting a phone call from someone who you just met a couple of weeks ago. Hey, we got this project. Great. That's missing today. And again, I've been in this business starting back at General Electric Cablevision um, <laughs> back in 1971. Wow. I was 19 years old. But the evolution of having your own home studio, I was in an Indianapolis recording studio and I had done my take and I was sitting there talking to uh, the engineer and he was doing something on screen that I wasn't really familiar with. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm making an MP3. This is circa 1996. Mm -hmm. That'd be yeah. about right. I was going to say 95, but yeah, yeah. 96, I, sure. Yep. And I said, what the heck is an MP3? And he said, we're taking your yards worth of audio and we're condensing it down to six inches. And then I'm going to go through our system in-house here and ship it upstairs. And they will then enlarge it back to the yard that it was, and they'll work with it and putting your voice onto the project, whatever it is. Sure. And I remember saying, do you think you could email an MP3? Of course, email was pretty new. He said, well, mm -hmm. sure. I've never, I've never tried, but I don't know why not. Why you couldn't, right? Yeah. So I contacted this advertising agency. They poo-pooed it. It'll be awful. It'll be, let's try it. My son, who was a senior in high school, oh, yeah, dad, that technology's out there on the internet. You can download the program. So I did that. I, we downloaded the program that condensed the wave audio down to an MP3 and then the, a different program to enlarge it back. And I had to send that to my client. Then let's try a test. And the very first spot that I did was for Gallus Cadillac in New Mexico. <laughs> there you go. And I, for the longest time, had that on my demo reel because when they finished it and they put music behind it, it was awesome. That opened up the world. 
I have done voiceover around the world, all because of that one little session that I had in an Indianapolis recording studio. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's an MP3. MP3. Wow. I like the fact that you had to have two different programs, one to encode yeah. and one to decode. That's right. <laughs> you know, he wanted to put it on a VU meter and or an oscilloscope. I talked to engineers and they said, it's minimal. You'll never know it. Even if you just place the MP3, it won't make any difference. No, no, no. Not for a radio commercial in the way that radio squashes everything anyway. So you're right. sending him something that's already squashed. Of course, that's... he was listening through, you know, big Bose speakers in his studio and he wanted yeah, to just, but... that's what it should sound like. And not coming out of that little eight inch speaker in the car. Right. Absolutely. Oh, the Audio Lux speakers, right? Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Something I want to kind of ask about, Chuck, because as long as I've known you, we've never really discussed this. This is the crux of what I'm always trying to tell people when they ask about how do I build a voiceover career. You, as Brian said, always focused on it as a business. And in some ways, that is more important than above a certain minimum level than the quality of your voice, than almost anything else. You watch other people. You probably have watched people who are like, my God, this person is so amazingly talented. They should be making millions of dollars or they should be doing whatever. And yet you probably out-hustled them, not like in a competition way, just in what you do. What was your mindset? What were the things that you saw that you were doing that other people were not or that you couldn't understand why other people didn't do? One of the things that I think helped me immensely was I came from a sales background. I was peddling advertising. And you had to work at it. There were a lot of competition, a lot of great radio stations in Indianapolis and great television stations, and you were competing against all of that. Yep. So it was hustle, hustle, hustle. Fortunately, I had a very good product in Q95 with a Bob and Tom show. I started with Q95 when Bob and Tom had been there six months, having come from Upper Michigan. As, as mm -hmm. This was their first gig together. Wow. So you rode it all the way up. Yeah, I did. Nice. I was never afraid to talk to people, to knock on a door, to just send an email and say, just catching up. How are you? You don't want to be over intrusive. And people did that. People did that to me. There was a time in my life in the early 90s when I took a break from, I left Q95 in 92 and I went to work in advertising and learned the production business of on camera and yep. started doing more and more of that. But people would get ticked off when you were sitting there and you were knocking on their door too much. So it was just a little, that old squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's it. Just a little, hi, how are you? And I also learned promotion. How do you keep yourself in front of people where you're not forgotten? Because it doesn't take long and you are forgotten. Yeah, you were one of the first people that had a very recognizable brand. You had the Campbell Soup. Right. But it was a very, very smart connection because it was something that people could relate to and remember. Are you familiar with a voice coach by the name of Maurice Tobias? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Maurice, Absolutely. A wonderful lady. And I had an opportunity to work with her and be coached by her. And that was Maurice's suggestion. And we got together in a hotel suite in Chicago one weekend. And there must have been eight of us there, voiceover artists. No one knew anyone other than Maurice. The guy sitting across from me would open his mouth and I go, Oh my God. I heard that guy doing I heard that <laughs> right? guy doing a you know a national campaign and a girl down, you know, would she would say, Oh my God, I know her. Too. Yeah, I've been I've been in those uh, those those weekend sessions with Maurice and and everyone in the room, you're like, 
Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> and, and Maurice would bring in, coming for, out of Los Angeles, she would bring in a briefcase full of copy. And the copy she would set down was from recording sessions that she had been with talent or writers and producers who gave her copy. And yep. when you picked it up, again, I'm coming from Indianapolis, where everyone tried to squeeze 40 seconds worth of copy into 29 seconds. And you look at this copy and it's like 15 seconds worth of copy. Yeah. You're like, where's the rest of it? That's right. <laughs> and, no, and, no, no. This is your chance to breathe, to enjoy it, to relax, to massage it, to to make it come off the page. Yes. To act. To make it come off the page. How about that? That's right. And Maurice, going back to what we were talking about, she said, you've got to make yourself memorable. Fortunately, I had the Campbell name. Yep. I just was in a store a couple of days ago. And the guy says, man, you've got a really good voice. This is behind a mask, of course, because I'm in a store. <laughs> and uh, thanks. And I, this is what I did for a living. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I appreciate it. When I told him my name, and he said, mm-mm, good. And well, there you go. Yeah. That was part of the Campbell thing. So I don't use those cards anymore. Campbell in New Jersey are listening. I don't infringe on your copyright any longer. <laughs> but I do appreciate the, the, the millions of dollars of advertising you set up for me. Thank you. That's right. Thank you so much. But my business cards, I found a genius printing company and they die cut business cards in the shape of a can. Yep. And I had an artist who made it look like a can of soup, only there was a voiceover guy standing in front of a microphone. It wasn't even my image. And these cards, to this day, my phone number, though I have moved from Indianapolis to Florida, my phone number has not changed. And every once in a while, my phone will ring and I, it's not in my directory. I don't know who it is. Hello? Chuck, we haven't worked together in like 15 years, but I just came across your card and I've got this project. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's that is awesome. absolutely it. I, I remember the card. I remember the card very clearly. And yep. like I said, so do I. probably 1990, first yeah. time I saw it. I was listening to one of your shows with another great talent out of Indianapolis, Kristen Lennox. And oh, yeah. Kristen's background was in acting. Mm -hmm. And then she did voiceover. Mm-hmm. And in the sessions with Maurice, there were people who had come the same road that Kristen Lennox had, had been talent on stage and then went into voiceover. And then there were those of us who have this deep voice we project, mm -hmm. we announce. Right. That's what we do. Sure. It's the way we talk all of the time. And people, Randy is, would know, and Brian, you've run into this, you're a little too announcerish. I'm sorry, but that's the way I <laughs> right, that's right. who I am. <laughs> right. But Maurice had a trick. She would hand you one of those pieces of wonderful copy out of Los Angeles. Yeah. And she would say, do a character voice and read that copy. I don't do character voice, just anything. Just do a, a weird voice. And you'd give it the I'd give it the Rocky. The, you know, hey Rocky, watch me pull around. And you would sit there and you would do it this way. And she's recording the whole time and you would right. do something like that. And then she said, now read the copy. And the read was completely different. Right. It wasn't Rocky. It wasn't an announcer. You were talking to someone. It's taking you out of your headspace is That's what, it. It's, what it's doing. So I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of really, really talented writers and producers and engineers like yourself, Randy, and, and guys who just... They coached you. And 
to this day, when I have a project, I bet 95% of the times I will get the email. Here's the copy. They're not listening to me. Just do what you do, Chuck. And I will teach. That's the main thing that I do now is I teach. They are all educational audiobooks. Really? I work with the world's largest collegiate textbook publisher and have for 20 some odd years. And they learned that a student in a college, they're either going to learn by reading in their textbook they bought at the bookstore. Right. Or they will learn from the classroom. Because you bought your textbook, we give them a third option. And that's when they go back to their dorm room. They log on because they bought the textbook and they hear me do a Reader's Digest condensed version of what they would have read or saw and something visually is happening on the screen. And we're looking for that aha moment. Oh, the visual student. Now I get it. Now I get it. And I have done everything from medicine to tax law to econ, whatever it is. But a Randy Ryan in my, when I was doing this would say, this may be a nursing student, or this may be a freshman in college. Read like you're reading to your eight-year-old. Yeah. It's the make the connection with your voice. Right. And that's a really important part of all voiceover and all voice acting is understand your audience. Right. And that's what differentiates the traditional announcer from someone who can connect and be relatable. And to try to make things that are boring. I mean, when I'm talking about something out of the medical industry and I am instructing someone how this piece of medical equipment that they've just purchased and how it works, you've got to make it interesting and not lose them. Yeah. So they will pay attention. I work with a pharmaceutical company. There was a time when drug reps going off script with what a particular drug is supposed to do uh -huh. or was tested for mm -hmm. what it's efficacious to do. Sure. A perfect example would be a Cialis. Yes, it is now sold as an erectile dysfunction drug, but <laughs> it was originally for helping to shrink the prostate. Mm -hmm. That's what it was for. Rogaine was supposed Rogaine. to be for something. It was supposed to be for something else that they tried to... Um... I think it was erectile dysfunction, and instead... No, it, originally, it was to shrink the prostate. Right, and one of the side effects was that people... And instead, right, it put it hair on your hair. Right. That's right. right. <laughs> and they realized that even if it worked for the first thing, that they, they could make more money, sadly, or happily, I guess, depending on who you are, with the second thing. Let's sell it as hair restoring. Correct. But wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> if you drink it. So what, what we do with the foot now is the sales rep, the drug rep is sitting across from the doctor in his office and talking about a new drug they've got coming online or whatever. And he says, well, I want to see the research. I want to see the trial. He, to be certain that that rep doesn't go off script, they type it into their iPad and they hold it up and they see the drug trial and they hear me describe what happened. And so it's not glamorous work. I'm no Don LaFontaine. I didn't get to do, you know, movie trailers in, you know, in a world, but but this stuff needs to be done too. I've done work for Home Depot where I'm instructing you how to put together a workbench. Mm -hmm. And all that work needs to be done. You've just got to find your way into that. And it's harder and harder to do that now. Just because of the sheer volume of people that are competing. That and there is no water cooler. Back to our original conversation. There is See, no water that's the cooler. Part that, that's the part that I find the hardest. Yes. In, in drumming up new business, there is no chance for that face-to-face -face connection. Right. 
Well, there are chances for it. What I see from that is that the, the game is just simply different. And yeah. And so one of the things about you that I know is you're very much a, look, show me what the rules of the game are. And you may not like the rules of the game. You may wish that they were this specific way, but okay, here are the rules. All right. Maybe it comes from a sports background. Maybe it comes from your sales background. I'm not sure what, but all right, well, that's what it is that we have to do. All right. You don't cry about how it should be. It's like, well, this is how it is B. So this is what we're going to do. And to me, that's one of the reasons that you have been successful for as long as you have. And it's second nature to you. But to so many people that I know, that stymies them for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And I need to learn too. Now, again, I'm, I'm now 68 years old. I have been as retired, Lord willing, since I was 50 years old. Uh, <laughs> younger than that. Uh, in fact, my wife always said, I want your job because she would take <laughs> off and leave to go to work at 6 a.m. And I would get up and I'd pedal my butt down the hallway to our son's old bedroom that was then converted to a recording studio and I would work there. Right. And then I knew I had a standing golf game at noon at my club, which was four miles away. And I'd do that and come back and still beat her home from her job. So, so that's the answer to the four handicap. That's the yeah. answer to the four handicap as I played a lot of golf. But you have to be able to adjust and be flexible. Maurice had us write a story as a home project. It was like on a Friday or Saturday was our first day. Saturday night, go back to your hotel and write a story. And then come in and read this story that you written. It's your own words. Yep. And I wrote a story of life is a series of forks in the road. You come to a fork in the road and right or left, there is no bad choice. Whichever way you decide to go, you've got to make the most of that. And don't look over the hedge to see what would have happened if I'd have taken that left lane instead of the right lane. Make the most of this and keep your head down and grind and do the best you can until you come to the next fork in the road. And I have been very fortunate to have made an awful lot of correct decisions at least in my mind they are, because I didn't know what happened on the left lane because I took the right lane and I made this decision and made, this is what I'm going to do. And I met an awful lot of people who believed in me, who helped me, who loved the work that I did and would say, I would get a phone call. You don't know me, but Randy gave me your name. I've got a project. One of the things, too, is you've got to involve the technology, and I'm sure it is evolving still at a rapid race, but it seemed like the 90s, at least to me, and the early 2000s, things changed so rapidly. Yeah, they did. That was the most rapid period. I go back to the days of pagers. Yeah. Another thing, it lasted a week. Yes, but I had left my pager in my car overnight, and I was at the house and realized about 10 o'clock, oh my God, I don't have my pager. I went out and found my pager and there was a message. It was someone looking for me to hire me. He had called at eight o'clock. By the time I returned his call, he found someone else because I didn't call him back. Yep. It was the last time that I wasn't accessible. I never wanted anyone to stand in for me. I've got clients that I've been their voice for 20 some odd years or more. I never wanted someone to stand in for me. As far as my clients know, I've not taken a vacation in 25 years. Yeah. Though I have traveled to Europe, we have a timeshare in Hawaii that we used to go spend weeks every year. I never was unaccessible. Well, and I think that's one of the keys to being able to be a working actor these days, especially a working voice actor, 
is the fact that technology has enabled us to always be available and that creates the convenience that clients look for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's a good and a bad to it. Sure. But I will say this, Chuck, you were the person who first made me start thinking about what it would be like to work remotely. And actually, I started working remotely before anybody else was other than you because of you. Because the number of times that I would call and talk to you, and maybe because we knew each other, you'd fess up to me like, yeah, I'm actually in Hawaii. Yeah. And the first time it's like, well, that's cool. The second time it's like, yeah. really? By the third time it's like, wait a minute. You're Why actually never here, are you? Why does Chuck get to go to Hawaii and work? And I, yeah, right? Why does that get happen? And yet you delivered and it just worked. I appreciate that. That's nice to hear. But that was but that was true. And and that's what started making me, well, if Chuck can do this, why can't I? And that started me down that path of, well, Chuck's in Hawaii. Why do I have to work with only people in Indianapolis? Why can't I work with people in Chicago or Los Angeles or London or wherever? And that started that whole path of remote work in my head. So you are whether you know it or not, were the primary person who made me start thinking it was possible because you were doing it, even though you weren't telling anybody that that's what you were doing. That's nice to hear. And, and I'm glad it worked out for both of us. After I missed that session, I always had the pager with me. Cell phones changed everyone's life. Yep. But I put together, to me, one of the very first portable studios. I've got pictures of myself sitting in a condo or a hotel room, wherever it may be, with a blanket pulled off of a bed and draped over a chandelier or draped over my head. There you go. To knock down the bounce off the walls yep. so I could record. But if you've not discovered Sweetwater Sound, just awesome. You need this, you need this, you need this. And we built together basically a portable studio. And I had it as carry-on luggage. It had its own foam-lined carry-on luggage that I've just learned to tell the people as I'm going through the checkpoints. If there's a lot of metal in that, it's a microphone, it's this, it's that, the cables. Yeah, traveled that way for years. Yes. But you're right. You know, you always have your studio with you because you never know when you're going to need it. That's right. right. So the worst thing in the world is to be out of town on business or on pleasure or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden you get that call going, hey, yeah, we really need this. Can you kick it out and get it back to us by morning? And you have to be, again, accessible. This goes back to sales, and you need to be prompt. When I was in video production, they had a saying there that we offer three things, quality, expediency, and price. Pick two. Right. There you go. If you want it quick, production either is going to suffer or it's going to cost you a lot more. Yep. It works in any combination. I've taken that and thrown it out the window. I offer all three. People will say, well, what's your rate? I don't like to work with rate. I agree. I want to be a part of your team. I want you to consider me a part of your team. What's your budget? What do we have to work with? And I would say 95% of the time, they come back with a rate that is sometimes double what I would have probably charged to read this piece of copy that's never going to hear broadcast. But that was their budget. Right. Now they know I'm working with them and they can count on me. Right. And studio time, nope, not charging for it. When I built my studios, it was never to compete with. And I made sure it was never to compete in 1995 with the Indianapolis recording studios that I was working in because I couldn't mix. 
I couldn't add music or sound effects. It was just strictly for my out-of-town clients so I could expand my world and I could record my voice. This would have been about 2000. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call one morning, brushing my teeth, getting ready to go play golf, do something. I don't know what it was. And it was a client out west. And they said, we've got a spot we need recorded. Okay, email it to me. They email me the copy. I open it up in the studio, walk down the hallway into the studio, open it up. We're talking. I'm listening to them in my headphones. They're hearing me through the microphone. And I recorded it. And I uploaded it through my FTP site. 30 seconds later, I'm hearing my voice in their studio and they're mixing it. Mm -hmm. And I said, how far have we come from getting a fax, getting in the car? <laughs> there you go. No, no, absolutely. And now we're doing this from uh, destinations unknown all over the place. That's true. How cool is this? And there's the other thing. Tom Griswold called me once and he said, Bob Kavoyan, who's now retired from Bob and Tom, his son wants to get into voiceover. And would you talk to him? I said, sure, Tom, I would talk to him, but I don't know what the hell I'm going to talk to him about. Right. Because the business has changed so much because there is no water cooler anymore. Right. My favorite writer, I have done projects for her, for Hershey and Eli Lilly and other companies. And it's all training, but she writes wonderful stories and wonderful training. She and her husband live on a turkey farm in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. How do you find her? <laughs> you got to want turkey. You got to want turkey. But having met her somewhere in a recording studio, sitting in that lobby, and that led to this. But now I'm running into it. How do I meet new people? I'm now back behind the curve that I used to think I kind of led. And the people that I worked with for so long, who are my contacts, they're my age. They're shutting it down. They're selling their studios. And those contacts are going away. So I ask you, how do you find new people? You know, that's almost like you saying to anybody in the 90s or the 2000s, well, how do you find work? It's like, well, there's no real one thing. There are a lot of things that you do. And I think now you do have to work social media. Then you have to work it a little bit differently. But there are conferences, obviously in the age of COVID, you know, the conferences have largely been shut down or they've gone virtual. And I still have not yet found the value in a virtual conference. But I will say that going to conferences, especially the ones that are more collegial as opposed to – so, for instance, in the gaming world, GDC as opposed to E3. In the voiceover mm -hmm. world, VO Atlanta, yeah, they have lecturers. Yes, they have classes. But it's really about – the people in the industry. It's about community, yeah. It is about sure, community. Yeah. And that's where I go to see my friends who also happen to be my clients, my colleagues. Co-workers, the people that I hire. Yeah, yeah, ab exactly. Absolutely. But because it's that kind of an environment, it becomes very water coolish. Y yeah, you do have some people that are there just to sell. But in the same way that they turned you off in the 90s, they turned you off just as much now. The skill of networking hasn't really changed the methodologies that you use maybe have had to change, but I don't think the general skills have changed The channels much. are different. Yeah. yeah. During the 90s, I actually taught advertising and copywriting at Butler University. And the first day of class every year, I would look at the students and I'd say, if you get nothing else out of this class, just remember this one thing. Life is all about relationships. That's true. And I think that 
that's actually the answer to your question. How do you go get new business these days? You build relationships. Yeah. Right. It's different. It can be challenging. Everybody's trying to do it, right? So, so you got to be able to be genuine, authentic, and build those true relationships with people without badgering them, without hunting them down. It's the same thing that you used to do as a sales guy. Right. It's the same thing. The channels have changed. The approach has changed a little bit, but it's the same thing. You got to get to know them. You got to relate to them and you got to offer them something that they find value in. And from there, you build the personal relationship. So it goes back to price, expediency, and quality. There's there you go. things that I, that I offer. It does. But from a networking standpoint, it goes back to exactly what you said early on, and that is touch points, making sure that you are interested in them making sure that you know something about them. How can I help you as opposed to how can you help me? Not getting concerned if somebody doesn't give you anything for three years. That doesn't mean you stop talking to them or you stop being interested in them. It just means that for a variety of reasons, it hasn't come up yet. Maybe what you do hasn't been what they've needed. And I get that. I get that completely because I never minded auditioning on camera or voiceover. And if you listen to actors in Hollywood, you listen to their stories as they would go to auditions. And the biggest names still go to auditions. Yep. And you cannot take it personally. It's not about you. The person who is sitting on the other side of the camera or who is listening to your audition tape, in their mind, they have a voice that they're looking for. This may be the time that it's you. But it's a numbers game. You've got to get in front of people or someone to hear your voice or see you to get the gig. And you can't take it personally when they say no. Right. Because I've done both on camera and voiceover auditions. I go, man, I absolutely killed that. It could not be better. And I didn't get it. Right. Why? They may have gone to a female. Okay. We decided we were going with it. I can't do female. Okay, that's fine. Get it. They, they <laughs> wanted someone who sounded younger. I've sounded like I'm 68 when I was 38. So it's, you know, it's, it, 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 they want, you know, you just, you don't take it personally. You just say next and you move on and you go for the next one. And sooner or later, someone's going to say, yeah. And a lot of times when you finally get that yes, and that goes back to sales, when you get that yes, if you service your butt off for that person, if you give them price, quality, and, you know, expediency, if you're there because you have to service them, it's not about you again, it's about them. And you take care of them, they remember that. To this day, someone will say, Chuck, I've got this project, can you turn it around? It's got a pretty quick deadline. Sure. And it could be a Tuesday. We need it by Thursday. I said, it'll be there when you walk in tomorrow morning. There you go. And they walk in Wednesday morning and you go, bang, there it is. They remember that. Yeah. So I got something funny for you just because, as you know, I used to do a lot of commercial stuff and most of what I do now is gaming. Right. I've told so many people this and they look at me like I've got four arms or something. This is not me as actor. This is me as casting director or producer or whatever my role was at that. Hey, we've got a spot that we need to do for fill in the blank. And this might be Tuesday. And uh, we need to get it done as fast as possible. How fast do you think you can get it done? By the way, we've already bought airtime for it, and it starts running on Thursday. So if you can get this done tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and, yeah, and, and I, yeah. I learned, and that's the funny thing too. And and this goes back to what we're just talking about. Back when I was in sales, and we joked and laughed when we said a fax machine. Right. When I was in sales, the invention of the fax machine. Oh my god! Oh, it meant changed that, everything. Meant that media buyers didn't want to see you anymore. Right. Fax yeah. me that proposal over. Yep. Yep. And so you didn't see them. They didn't have time anymore for you to go just bring a cup of coffee in and sit down. No. And it's the same thing now. So it is. you've got to find a way to make contact and press the flesh and get to know each other. It is. Well, I will say that video apps, there are a lot of bad things about the pandemic. One of the good things is that it has forced people who otherwise were not down with the whole technology aspect of Skype, Zoom, WhatsApp, fill in the blank. It's made them have to get comfortable with it. Then this is not just actors or talent. These are clients. It's gotten people out of their entrenched methodology. And because of that, even though the technology has been there for a long time, we're now starting to enter Jetson's territory. I call my mom and it's just going to be a video call. Just is. Right. You know, yeah. and yeah. so this is starting to happen with clients too. And not to say that it has to be video, so before, it was always better to do in person than a phone call, right? But right. it was better to do a phone call than email, and you can just kind of keep stepping it back. Well, I still think it's better to do in person, but a video call is better than a phone call if that person is willing to do that because it's a little bit closer to personal one-on-one -on -one FaceTime. That's right. Yep. Yep. That's right. But it's one of the new things. That's it. Just, yeah. And while it's been there for years, now people accept it. And now that doesn't weird them out when you're like, hey, can we just get on Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's persistence, it's resilience, and it's relationships. All right. I think we just solved the whole thing about how to be a successful voiceover uh, <laughs> professional, right? Good luck, kids. That's how you do it. Hot Thanks. damn. <laughs> <laughs> Right when you find work. Uh, yes. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> Be a fan of the show. Hot dog. Uh, <laughs> hey, Chuck, it's been so much fun to catch up with you. We really do appreciate it. If someone does want to reach out to you, give us that website. Pimp yourself, my friend. My email is easy. It's chuck at chuckcampbell.com. Obviously, the website is chuckcampbell.com. All my additions are there, and I would love to uh, get to know you. Awesome. It's been so much fun to catch up, but for now, Randy, BT, Randy, BT, boys, Chuck, until we do it again, man. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Chuck Campbell, you the man. Incredibly talented dude. Get in touch with him. ChuckCampbell.com. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, delivering the world's best talent virtually anywhere. And me, Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested in hearing or you just want to let us know what you think, reach out by sending us an email to, yeah, that old email thing, bt at letstalkvoiceover.com. Check out our website at www, that is the World Wide Web, letstalkvoiceover.com iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you get podcasts. Even that iHeartRadio thing. I don't know. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>